Why don't you warm your hands in that fake flyer in front of you as you take a seat? For any of you that are silly enough like me to forget to bring a jacket this morning, from now on, every week in the car. I am struggling this morning. But welcome. It's a great time to be here. As Andrew said before, we're continuing in our series in John. And today we're looking at John 15. And when I was asked to preach on this passage, I told my wife, Jess, and she said, oh, that's one of my favorite passages. If there was anything I wanted to preach on, it would be that passage. No pressure, Dan. So I went straight to the place where I thought I could understand the most that's going to help me with this, and that is to boxing. And here's what I learned. I wrestled with an alligator. I tussled with a whale. I handcuffed lightning, threw thunder in jail. I murdered a rock, injured a stone. Hospitalized a brick. I'm so mean I make medicine sick. I'm not the greatest. I'm the double greatest. I'm the boldest, I'm the prettiest, I'm the most superior, the most scientific, the most skillful fighter in the ring today. Help me out, folks, who is that? Ali, Muhammad Ali, a man who made very bold claims about who he is. I'm really not into boxing at all, but that's one thing that they're good at, right, is stating clearly who they are and who their opposition is as well. And this passage today is going to tell us about who we are in Christ. So as we get into it, why don't you just turn to the person next to you and repeat what I say. Say to your neighbor, hey, I'm a branch. Now, is that the most awkward thing you've said today so far? But I want to show you that that is actually the greatest. That is one of the best things you can be. One of the best things you can say about who you are. So as we do this, let's jump into John 15 together, and it's going to be on the screens for you too. It says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned." But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great joy to my Father. So if you've been coming along this journey with us, you would see that we are at another I am statement. Jesus is saying, I am the true grapevine. This is the seventh I am statement of Jesus. And if you remember the ones before it, it was the I am the bread of life. Jesus is the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life and the the truth and the life. And now, the true grapevine. And I've got to admit, whenever I've read this, I've kind of skipped over the true bit and got, oh, that's a bit weird, but let's get onto the vine. But I want to say to you that that word true is actually really important for this passage. 
to understand where Jesus is coming from because it's not just that he's going into another analogy here. Jesus is coming back to him being the fulfillment of things from the Old Testament once again. So this isn't the first time that a grapevine has been spoken about in Scripture. Israel is often referred to as the vine. And if we go back to Isaiah 5, and we'll put it on the screen for you too, it says this, Now I sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He ploughed the land, cleared its stones, and planted it with the best vines. In the middle he built a watchtower and carved a winepress into the nearby rocks. Then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes, but the grapes that grew were bitter. And it keeps going like that until it gets to verse 7. The nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord of heaven's armies. The people of Judah are his pleasant garden. He expected a crop of justice, but instead he found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, but instead he heard cries of violence. So God had a plan and he built the nation of Israel and they were created as his vineyard, but that vineyard failed. Israel time and again rebelled against God and weren't able to fulfill what they were called to be as the vineyard of God. This is where Jesus comes as the true grapevine. He came to do something that the nation of Israel were never able to do. He completes the picture of the beautiful garden God is creating. And I love that we're speaking about this passage this week, just after we think about the death and resurrection of Jesus, the fulfillment of that. Jesus truly was the light of the world. He lived the perfect life. He provided lessons that demonstrated how to live a life for God as a good shepherd would. Even though he is perfect, the world hated him and killed Jesus. He died so that we have that gate to the Father. And he rose again to life so that we can have the bread of eternal life. You see here how Jesus is bringing it all together, friends. He is the true grapevine. He has accomplished what Israel never could. There can now finally be good fruit through Jesus Christ. We can proudly say, I am a branch, because we get to be a part of the true grapevine. So let's pivot and look at us now. Now, I believe with this passage that I've for a long time read it one way, and now read it a different way. You can read this passage, I believe, grape-focused or grace-focused. Grape the fruit or grace the concept. For a long time, I've read this grape focus, and I think when you're grape focused, you're looking really strongly at verse 2. And verse 2 says this He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. So when you're grape focused, you get to this verse and you go, All right get me in, what do I need to do, what is this fruit, how do I do it, how can I get the most fruit possible in the shortest period of time, get me on to producing this fruit because that's what I need to do. But then what follows that is a little bit of fear. Well, what, what if I don't produce the fruit? What if I'm not good enough to produce the fruit? How, what if I don't get there or don't produce enough? It's not a fun way to live. 
It's living in uncertainty because you're contingent on results. And I believe it comes from a way that you're reading the Bible. It can come from a place where you're focused on the Bible as an instruction manual, as opposed to it being a love story. I used to read the Bible this way. It was simply to look at wanting to live my best life, which is a great thing, but also just looking at it and thinking, well, what is the answer to my current thing that I'm thinking about? And jump into the Word of God and say, what's the magical verse that can help me to understand how much to give or what house to move into or what job to have or how to behave? I think you can hear that there is something that is close to the truth there. Can the Bible help you deal with problems that you're facing? Absolutely. Can God speak through it into a circumstance that you have? Definitely. But is that the core about what the Bible and what God is on about? Well, no. McGinnis spoke last week and one of the key verses that he used was that famous verse that we all know, John 3.16. And it's used so much because it so eloquently puts the heart of what creation what God, what the Bible is all about. And how does that verse start? For God so loved the world. It's right there, isn't it? What is the heart of the message of the gospel? What is the heart of the Bible? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son relationship, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. The heart of the message is not go and do, the heart of the message is relationship. And what I think is beautiful is that when you go back to the other previous 6 I am statement, Jesus is already building that picture for us to come into today. And I'll put up a little table, I think, uh, that's going to come onto your screen that kind of pulls this together. Here are those I am statements. In John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And our response is, come near to Jesus. John 8, light of the world, follow me is the response. John 10, I am the gate, come through me is the response. And we keep going, our response is know me, um, believe in me, come through me. In each of these, Jesus is building the picture of who he is, but the response is always the same. Come to Jesus, be in a relationship with Jesus. So it would strike a bit strange, wouldn't it, that we'd get to the sevens and suddenly instead there's instruction to go and produce something? That's not the heart. See, after verse 2, we come down and get into verse 4 and Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Or some translations say, which I really love, abide in me and I will abide in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. So where does the fruit come from? It comes from being with Jesus, abiding in Jesus, remaining with Jesus. The branches, we don't produce fruit on our own. We hold fruit that comes from the vine. Verse 5, those who remain in me and I in them will produce fruit. Can you hear the promise in that? If you are in Jesus, fruit is inevitable. 
You don't have the responsibility for it. Jesus does. You do not have the responsibility. Your responsibility is that partnership and that abiding in Christ. I feel that this changes fruit entirely because it comes not as your obligation, but as your privilege. You get to participate with Jesus in producing fruit. Abide in Jesus and He will abide in you. By doing this, I believe you inherently become more like Jesus. So let's just stop and think about that for a moment, what we're doing when we're abiding in Jesus and He is abiding in us. This is the Jesus that performed miracles, who had absolute wisdom, who showed Himself to be God incarnate, who was the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament, the perfect being, the ultimate embodiment of love, the Saviour of the world. It is that Jesus who's wanting to abide in us as we abide in Him. You feel the weight of that and the beauty of that about what it means that that Jesus, the Saviour of the world, is wanting to abide in us, is wanting to connect with us, is wanting to be with us. And if you think about fruit, if you have that incredible relationship with Jesus, wouldn't just sweet, beautiful fruit be inevitable? You can think of fruit as being like those fruit of the Spirit from Galatians, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all attributes that we've seen deeply throughout John about who Jesus is and who we as Christians spend intimate time with as the branches. It just clearly flows through, doesn't it? That if the Saviour of the world who just perfectly demonstrated all of those things are abiding in us, those things are going to flow through us as well. Or we can think of fruit as seeing new people come to know Jesus as their Saviour. If we are abiding in Jesus and He is flowing through us with that intimacy, then doesn't it again just make sense that people are going to stop and notice and see something spectacular in that? So how do you abide in Jesus? Jess and I were speaking about this, and she said, oh, Jen, it's, it's, it's easy. It's kids. You know, Jesus talks about it in the Gospels as well, because if you look at young kids, or you've probably seen Jess and I, you can't get the kids off us, right? They just inherently know how to abide. They're wanting to spend the time with their parents through anything. They're looking for an excuse to come to you. They're looking for an excuse to call out to you. They're wanting to be by your side through the good, through the bad, telling you things, getting your help. They're just there. It's pretty simple. It's relationships. Abide in Jesus. You know, I think the funny thing from all of this is if you focus on grapes, you'll get less grapes. If you focus on grace, grapes are inevitable. I just love that about Jesus, don't you? That he just twists these concepts on their head. And more than that, God actively participates in how we get there. 
because we have that beautiful verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. It's that beautiful cycle of that relationship with Jesus coming again. If your life is built on being, abiding in Jesus and you are becoming like Him, you are asking for things that are going to continue to build His kingdom and be for the good of you, for humanity and for Jesus and God is going to work with you to continue to build that. I am a branch. I don't have to worry about life or fruit or eternity because Jesus takes care of it all. All I have to do is abide. Now let's look at God the Father. Verse 2 says this, God cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit and He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. And then verse 8, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Now, I've intentionally stayed away from anything that is about gardening or farming or grapes in a lot of this talk so far. And if you saw my pot plant graveyard at home, you would understand why that's not a topic for us to really tackle. And so, if I'm going to do it here, I'm going to rely on experts. Anyone watch Gardening Australia? Yeah, they're the experts. So, I've got a quote that I'm going to bring up here on the screen. It's from Dr. Peter May, who I understand is a leading horticulturalist. If you want to look this up, this is from Series 19, Episode 18, which I think is a long time ago anyway. But this is what Dr. Peter May says about why you prune grapes. We do it mostly to control the amount of fruit that is set. So it's really about making sure the grapes ripen properly. One of the main jobs of pruning is to tell the vine how many bunches of grapes you wanted to produce and to ripen in the year. It's really interesting to see what that pruning is about and then bringing it into this passage. So let's put God the Father in it as I believe it's beautiful. God prunes back the branches. Why? To help the fruit ripen properly and to determine how many bunches of grapes it'll produce. Doesn't this continue to accentuate that our role is to abide and God is going to be working around us to produce the fruit that is needed to build that beautiful garden? We have the privilege of participating in this garden our role is to abide as Jesus abides in us and God prunes around it to grow a beautiful harvest. The Father also cuts off the branches that don't bear fruit. And I think this is an aspect that if you're reading this, this could be scary or it could feel harsh. But I think when you look at it with a grace focus instead of a grape focus, that helps pull this out more. Because when you abide in Jesus and His grace, we said it before, grapes are inevitable. You may not see it, but it is clear that our role is abiding and God and Jesus are working to produce those grapes. So if you are abiding, you won't be severed. So when you're up against it, when you're facing serious challenge, I want you to know two things. One, God prunes to improve the fruit. 
And secondly, if you abide in Jesus, God will never sever. So don't go confusing pruning with severing. If you're abiding in Jesus, he will never sever. Now, I don't want to say this to undermine any challenges you might be facing now or have previously or will in the future. There's no doubt that many of us will experience things that are unbelievably hard. If that's you, I want you to know that God will never sever. He loves you. Jesus is abiding in you. You are loved. So loved that Jesus would die for you and is abiding in you right now. And not all hard stuff comes from God, but God can do good things through all hard stuff. We all remember those verses from Romans 8. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for me. I am a branch. God prunes me to grow beautiful fruit. That is the triple greatest, isn't it? Muhammad Ali might be the double greatest, but what we can see today in this passage is the triple greatest. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything God ever promised. He is God himself. He so deeply loved us that he died for us and is there waiting to abide in us, the greatest. We're the branches. We have the privilege of bearing fruit and participating in what God is doing on earth. It's not our responsibility, it's our privilege and honour. It's the double greatest. And God the Father is working the vineyard, pruning to improve the fruit and always there working together with Christ to build a beautiful vineyard together with us all, the triple greatest. See, what I love about this passage is that it just sort of flips the world on its head, doesn't it? Because it's not all about us going and needing to do something. When something goes against us, it's, it's not going to be the end of the world. It's not going to be the end of the story. God is always working with us. It is our life and privilege to be a part of that. When things are going to plan, we can abide in Jesus and thank Him for the fruit. When things are going against us, we can see and understand that God has a bigger picture and is still working to grow His harvest. There is such beauty in the vineyard and we get to be a part of it by being a branch. So say it after me, guys, and understand the beauty of it. Say with me, I am a branch. I'm going to have to say that message all over again to get some more enthusiasm about it. I am a branch. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord God, it is an incredible image, and I hope that we can understand it fully, that you have been are and will always be building something spectacular and we get the privilege as your people of participating with it. Lord, thank you that Jesus has done it all and God is continuing to work and we get the honour 
of abiding. Our job is to have a relationship with you. Help us to see through the mess or see through the other priorities. Instead, focus our time on building our relationship with Jesus. Lord, we love you. Amen.